Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. Hey everyone, it's Jen and Jess from the beauty podcast, Fat Mascara, here to talk about Sol de Janeiro. So many of the beauty experts we interview on our show say that the key to great skin is to treat every inch of your body with the same attention you give your face. One of our favorite ways to do that is with Sol de Janeiro's Beige Flor Elastic Cream, a rich body cream that's clinically proven to boost collagen and has been shown to improve skin crepiness on the chest in just two weeks. Plus, it's scented with Sol de Janeiro's Charosta 68 fragrance. Sol de Janeiro is offering you 10% off your first order on soldejanero.com and free shipping with the code ACAST10. That's S-O- L-D-E-J-A-N-E-I-R-O soldajanero.com and use the code ACAST10 for 10% off. This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all jewellery that makes you look like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. eBay gets it. So look for the blue check mark next to that thing you love and be confident that every inch, stitch, sole and logo is checked by experts. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. Hi, this is Imran Ahmed, founder and CEO of The Business of Fashion. Welcome to the BOF podcast. Earlier this year, BOF Insights, our new data and analysis think tank, published a new report called Fashion in the Middle East, Optimism and Transformation. It really sums up everything that's going on in the region, a strong economic outlook, new government incentives, and shifting fashion norms, which are all fueling growth across countries in the region and its $89 billion fashion industry. Possibly the greatest regulatory change is happening in the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia, which has introduced social and economic reforms in a bid to embrace outside influences, attract foreign investment, and diversify the economy. There's social change too. Women are now able to drive and work, creating a lifestyle change along with all the regulatory change. But the Saudi market also has its detractors. People who say the changes impacting sectors like fashion are more about distracting from its poor human rights record, especially when it comes to LGBTQ rights. Homosexuality is illegal in Saudi Arabia and comes with severe penalties, including imprisonment and capital punishment. So clearly there is much to dissect and understand. This week on the BOF podcast, I have a wide-ranging conversation with Mariam Mosali, the founder and chief executive of Saudi-based luxury communications agency, Niche Arabia, and BOF Insights Associate Director of Research and Analysis, Rowan Maki, who was also the principal author of our report on the Middle East. You can download the full report in the link in the episode notes. But in the meantime, here are Mariam Mosali and Rowan Maki, on the BOF podcast. Mariam, Rawan, thank you very much for joining me for this conversation. We have been thinking about analyzing, focusing on opportunities 
in the Middle East region across BOF recently. You know, I've been spending some time in Kuwait and Egypt. Our BOF Insights team has recently published a report which does a deep dive on the whole region, but also double clicks on the UAE and Saudi Arabia in particular to understand what those customers are looking for. And what I wanted to do today was to just give a little bit of color, nuance, and narrative around some of the data points that we've been surfacing through some of the work that we've done at BOF in recent months. Because I think what gets lost often when you're communicating in reports or articles is like how it feels and what it looks like on the ground. And Rowan and I were both recently in Kuwait. And as I mentioned, I was recently in Egypt. And so what I'm curious about, Mariam, we'll start with you, like the Saudi Arabia that you know. Saudi's in the news a lot these days for all sorts of reasons. But what are the misconceptions that people in the West may have about how Saudi is changing? And what do we need to know, particularly with this lens of the fashion industry, to understand the market on the ground? Well, I think, you know, what I often get in terms of feedback when we are in the news is, is this real? Is it really happening? And as someone who's Saudi, who lives in Saudi, who works in Saudi, I can tell you that it is. And I think that's what's so exciting about all these changes, because it's directly affecting us. And I think it's an amazing opportunity for us to not just open our doors and import you know, aesthetic when it comes to fashion, but also export it. And I think that's what's getting everyone, you know, just uh, really excited here in the kingdom is to actually show people our heritage, our aesthetic. So that's quite consistent with what I see happening in other global markets. You have a pride in the local design scene and like what the creativity that a region can offer externally to other markets. But let's focus for a moment on what you think brands that are looking to take advantage of the growth and change that you mentioned in the Saudi market. Like, what's really changing on the ground? Paint us a picture. How is an average day for a young, fashion-interested man or woman 10 years ago? And what does it look like today? Well, I mean, I think, you know, even when I moved back to Saudi, you know, 10 years ago, more than 10 years ago, but when I came back after, you know, I graduated from D.C., I saw that we were the first generation to really be able to kind of pursue our entrepreneurship, creativity, because it was our fathers that built the kingdom, right? They were the engineers, the business development, uh, the oil boom happened. And then our generation was kind of the first to kind of delve into other industries. And what we're seeing now with this generation, you know, it's the same thing, but now it's technology, it's fintech, it's fashion. And it's really about developing these sectors with the Ministry of Culture and specific. They're really trying to develop, you know, we have the Fashion Commission, you have the Film Commission, you have all of these different commissions that are really there to, as catalysts to help, you know, these young Saudis. And by the way, we're really young. Huh? Our population is skewed where it's seven percent under the age of 30. So having that very young population, we need that guidance. And I think that's one of the things that I really see as a big differentiator from 10 years ago, whereas we came in, it was kind of up to us to kind of find our way. And Rowan, like when you think about what we took from our really deep customer research on, on Saudi Arabia and the BOF Insights report, what would you add to that in terms of the change that we need to be aware of? Yeah, I think what's really interesting is when we look at the drivers for growth historically. So there was this really big boom between 2008 and kind of 2018, that decade. 
And what was driving growth then in fashion locally was all this investment that was coming in from outside and this very big uptake and high spending power locally, you know, in Saudi, but also across the Gulf. And what we're seeing now is that the next years are defined by this high growth, but the factors are a lot more internal. So a lot of it is in response to regulations changing or local investments. So the government investing, for example, in the fashion sector, it's not happening in a silo. It's also happening with the government investing in hospitality and in local tourism and with changing societal norms. And this is something Maryam can definitely expand on. But if people have more options of what to do locally, if they are going to be traveling more for leisure locally, or even their job opportunities changing for both men and women alike, they're going to have new wardrobes for that. They're going to be dressing differently and feeling differently. And then it also inspires the local creative scene very differently as well. So one thing we found is that brands are also looking to partner more with local creatives because there is such a big rush of local creative energy in Saudi and across the Gulf, really, that is happening in response to a lot of these changes. So let's talk about the changes. And for people who aren't aware, Mariam, of exactly what's changed in terms of rules and regulations in lifestyle, in terms of the way people can dress in terms of who and who cannot work. Like, what are the regulatory changes that are really driving fashion change? Well, I think, first of all, when it comes to the like retail industry, one thing that's definitely changed is that international brands can come in on their own, independent of a local operator. And I think, you know, that has its pros and cons. One of the pros is that, okay, if the local operator isn't up to par, then it empowers the brand to kind of take things in their own hands and offer that same service that you would have, whether you're going to a flagship store in Rome or in Paris. At the same time, I think it's smart to have your local operators because you need them for those local um, insights and those nuances to our customer behavior. So I think what it's done is it's really kind of upped our customer service in a way and the offerings that we have locally. I guess I'm also interested on the rules and regulations around what women can do now in Saudi Arabia. And there's been a lot of change in terms of what they can wear, that they can drive, you know, that mm-hmm. they can work. Oh, those seem like pretty fundamental shifts into terms of the day-to-day life of a woman. Like, how is that changing? Since the announcement of Vision 2030, you know, our government mandate to kind of open Saudi up, but also facilitate our women entering the workforce. As of last uh, March, Saudi women make up 33% of the local workforce. That's up from 17.4% since 2017. Our goal with Vision 2030 was to get it to 31%. So we've already hit that mark. So it's amazing. Like, I always tell people this. You give us the opportunity, Saudi women are going to take advantage of it. And when you look at things like women-owned companies have increased by 60% in the past two years. We have 30 of 150 Sharia Council members in our government are now women. 50% of the board members of of Saudi's Human Rights Council are made up of women. So we're getting into these active leadership roles in order to enable that change. And I think that's kind of the biggest change too, is that it's not just coming from someone in an office saying, okay, look, we're gonna open the doors for women, we're gonna let women drive. It's women kind of getting behind the wheel and making sure that they're directing this change. And they're seizing that opportunity, it sounds with gusto, but what does that mean for the way they dress? Basically, it's about modesty. And it's really funny because I remember when I was talking to Rowan about this for the Insights Report, I was saying that modest dressing is still a new thing in Saudi because we had the abaya. It was an outerwear garment, like what I'm wearing now. You put it on, but underneath you're wearing your regular ready-to-wear. So what's happened now that we're you know now mixing and integrated workspaces 
is that we now need to get into modest wear. You know, that's something new for us. And so I think that's a really interesting thing in the fashion sector that we're going to see change in Saudi because modesty was kind of limited to, let's say, Turkey or Egypt, not the Kaliji states where we have the Abaya, the outerwear. And so I think that's definitely the shift. And what we're seeing also within the Abaya, women still want to wear it. You know, I think from the Western standpoint, it was seen as this garment of suppression, when in reality, it's a garment of our national pride. We love it. And what we're seeing is it's changing from going from these very heavy fabrics, you know, decadent uh, embellishments, something you would wear to lunch. It's now something that is versatile, light fabrics, shorter, so that it doesn't get caught in our car door or the wheels of our office chair. It's made now for us with that lifestyle in mind. Right. So just so I understand correctly, and for listeners Mm -hmm. like me who have not yet visited Saudi Arabia, what was it like before then in terms of when you say it's now about modesty, there's this kind of like legend that, you know, underneath an abaya, women were wearing like really... Risque. unmodest clo- risque clothing <laughs> yeah. and then they would have these parties and you know as soon as it was an all-woman party people would like get rid of their abayas and it was it would look like the well, west is that right no well i would definitely say that we have different conduct of decency that you wear when you're with all women so for example i was reading one of the reports where you had the founder of Man talking about how kuwaitis are wearing short dresses in weddings and i was kind of looking at that like I remember being, you know, a young Saudi girl going to weddings. That's the first time I saw what a transparent bra strap was because there was plunging necklines. Because yes, you are in front of women and you can dress that way. I remember even working with Harvey Nichols 10, 15 years ago where the salesman was shocked because one of the customers was complaining that they didn't have, you know, short or leger dresses. And he came to me, you know, in the back room and he's like, is that kind of, you know, is this real? Like, is she really asking us? I said, yes, of course, Riyadh might be more conservative than, let's say, Jeddah. But Jeddah, since we mix more, we dress more modestly. Whereas in Riyadh, most of their events and their social interactions are segregated. So the women dress a bit more openly. In essence, that's why this integrated work environment is leading to an increase in interest around modest wear. Because before, the sexes were largely segregated, but Mm -hmm. in the workspace, they come together. So If you're a buyer at Harvey Nichols or Matches or Farfetch, what does that mean in terms of what women are actually looking for now that they're going into the workspace? What does modest workwear look like? I mean, well, we now have uh, this uh, influx of suit abayas. Actually, I'm wearing one right now. (laughs) And that's interesting because I think a lot of people thought they would kind of get rid of the abaya. But as I mentioned, it is a garment of cultural pride. And what we're seeing is it kind of evolve with our lifestyle. So what women are wearing in the office are abayas, but maybe they're different silhouettes. The sleeves are shorter. You know, they're three-four sleeves. They're not the full to the wrist. It's still very much a Khaliji aesthetic that we're seeing, but it has evolved into a much more versatile garment. What are they wearing underneath that abaya? They're wearing their ready-to-wear fashion. And what I love about Saudi specific is where, again, we have a lot of pride with our local brands. And so you are seeing a mix of, you know, designer brands with your local brands. So I would say that, you know, that's definitely something that I'm seeing a lot now that I didn't see before. Before it was very much us importing international fashion. When things are changing so quickly, the rules and regulations are changing so quickly, lifestyles are changing quickly, and maybe I'll address this question to both of you. Like, What's the advice for brands and retailers and online players on how they 
go to market. Typically, they might have said, okay, we're going to have like a modesty section or we're going to have a, a website. You know, there was one at Once Upon a Time that was focused solely on modest wear. Like, how should brands meet this opportunity, understanding A, that lifestyles and rules are changing quickly, and B, that there's growing competition from homegrown brands? Yeah. So, I mean, one thing that, you know, brands should be really aware of right now is that there's increased varieties as well. So, you know, as Maryam was saying that there's in a way more of a range to dress and to show what's under that abaya, but there's also little pockets of customers and interests that are developing. And instead of just painting the customer with a broad brush, essentially because before one of the main category that most brands were going to market with was accessories, handbags, so things that could be shown in tandem with kind of a abaya or a more fully covered customer. But now, you know, one thing our survey results show is that customers want that wider assortment. They want more ready to wear, more beauty. They want more shoes. So definitely revisiting the assortment, but also curating for more of a sophisticated, knowledgeable customer. So this is kind of a separate point than simply the new liberties and opening up of a place like Saudi. But the customer over the past decade, because of digital transparency, because of just increased connectivity to the world and building on the customer being very exposed and well-traveled, they're very sophisticated and they're very exposed to niche brands and concepts that they like. So we are seeing some even big retailers trying to create that curated novel experience. So for example, Majid al fatim you know, who's known for bringing in brands into the region, they have a concept store called That Concept Store. And the whole idea is that they do these really uniquely curated, makes you feel like you're in a small boutique type of shop. And I think we're going to be seeing more and more of that. So more curation and the way to do it is to really pilot small things and to see how they resonate with pockets of customers instead of just creating big generic concepts in the region. I don't know. I feel like it's now saying just because women are entering the workforce, that's the only place we go to. I mean, I think we've been buying a lot of ready to wear for years. You know, you have to remember we had heavy social calendars. We had weddings, you know, baby showers, Saudis in general, Khadijis are very social people. And that was kind of one of the misconceptions I think that brands held for the past, you know, 15, 20 years is that, oh, we need to have the longer maxi version of this outfit in the Middle East when that's not in fact true at all. We do go out, we do socialize, we do take off the abaya. This is something that we wear only in the public arena, not in our private lives. So I think that the handbags, the shoes, those are the things we can show out, you know, outside. Ready to wear was still very valid. It's very um, relevant for us. And so what I think what, what we are though seeing the shift is, is that now we want more accessible pieces uh, in terms of affordable luxury. It's not just those top items, those women that can afford the Chanel and Dior that are purchasing, but now that young professional who is making her own money, who does want to buy something nice and wear it out, you know, to a night out with her friends. We'll be right back with more on the BOF podcast. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. 
Hey everyone, it's Jen and Jess from the beauty podcast, Fat Mascara, here to talk about Sol de Janeiro. So many of the beauty experts we interview on our show say that the key to great skin is to treat every inch of your body with the same attention you give your face. One of our favorite ways to do that is with Sol de Janeiro's Beige Flor Elastic Cream, a rich body cream that's clinically proven to boost collagen and has been shown to improve skin crepiness on the chest in just two weeks. Plus, it's scented with Sol de Janeiro's Charosta 68 fragrance. Sol de Janeiro is offering you 10% off your first order on soldejanero.com and free shipping with the code ACAST10. That's S-O L-D-E-J-A-N-E-I-R-O soldajanero.com and use the code ACAST10 for 10% off. You know that's the sound of another sale on your online Shopify store. But did you know Shopify powers selling in person too? That's right. Shopify is the sound of selling everywhere. Online, in-store, on social media, and beyond. Shopify POS is your command center for your retail store. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify has everything you need to sell in person. With Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into one source of truth. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. Shopify helps you drive store traffic with plug-and-play tools built for marketing campaigns from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash BOF, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash BOF to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash BOF. This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewellery that makes you feel like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. When it comes to style and luxury, eBay gets it. They're making sure the things you love are checked by experts. And not just any experts, specialised experts. Real people who love this stuff, with real, hands-on authentication experience. So when you see that shiny blue check mark that says authenticity guarantee, shop with confidence. Every inch, stitch, sole and logo is verified authentic through a detailed inspection. That's how you know that eBay's got your back. Because when you finally step into those sneakers, put on that watch, get your real gold glow up, swing that handbag over your shoulder or step out in that streetwear, you'll realise that feeling is unlike any other. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. The other misconception I think I've observed in my own experience in the Middle East is that you know, some people sitting in Paris or London or New York might not really understand that actually each of these countries is different. You know, you keep using the word Mariam Khaliji. There's so many different, there's the Emiratis, there's a, people in Kuwait, like there's all of these different cultures and nuances that leaders from other countries really need to understand in order to be able to create the right connection with the customer in those regions. Like what do brands that are looking to enter and market themselves in Saudi need to know about the region that makes it different from the UAE or Kuwait? 
Yeah, I mean, I think that for many years we were not as homogeneous as we are now. I think because of globalization, that actually is having a huge effect on us as a region. But before, I would say, you know, Kuwaitis were more avant-garde. They experimented more with, you know, cool brands. Um, Saudis are brand loyal. If my mom wore it, chance star, my grandma wore it, and we're going to stick with that brand. Emiratis trend trend driven. So I think now what we're seeing is that the fashion sense of all of these Khariji states is kind of getting closer and closer together, actually. I think what's different is maybe the way that we absorb content, the way that we make our decisions when we're shopping. But I think overall the style is going through this shift that is actually becoming way more globalized than, than we thought. That's so interesting. So because everyone has access to the same information, because everyone's looking at the same brands, there's actually a shared culture or shared understanding, which might actually make it not that different from a customer in other parts of the world even. Yeah, I mean, just look at our influencers. I mean, all you have to do is just scroll through social media and you'll see that. Whereas before, let's say you would see someone maybe from the Emirates, I'm not saying Emirati girl, but a Dubai-based, let's say, influencer showing a bit more. Now you'll see, you know, another Saudi influencer kind of dressing the same exact way. And you would know whether they're in Saudi or in Dubai or in Kuwait. One thing that I was thinking about with that in terms of cultural spillovers is, you know, also some of the most notable designers, stylists, influencers in the region, they're also from the Levant or the wider Arab world. And while the Khalij or the Gulf has its own unique culture, it is all very intertwined. So there's a lot of social media influencers from that part of the world that are followed, some of the region's biggest creatives. And a lot of them also work in different parts of the Gulf and kind of take on projects um, it's become a lot more mobile as well and a lot more fluid, especially with changing regulations and a lot of the Gulf states becoming a lot more friendly for work and for creative work. You know, the UAE now has a, a visa type, I believe, for content creators and they can come and set up for work there. So all of this kind of influences some sort of shared overall cultural identity developing. And that really does have its impact on fashion on and on all of the creative sectors that are continuing to grow there. Speaking of which, you mentioned earlier on in the chat, Mariam, that one of the most notable changes that's happening is being led by the Fashion Commission in Saudi around the creation of an ecosystem, essentially, right? So I think the challenge that a lot of emerging fashion regions have had historically, not just in the Middle East, but in other parts of the world, is that they might have only one part of what I think are the essential elements of an ecosystem. So in that, I would include fashion education. I'd include investors. I'd include manufacturing. I'd obviously include retail and the customers. Like, How is the Fashion Commission playing a role in kind of building an ecosystem that could thrive in and of itself without having to rely on Italy for manufacturing or rely on money from other parts of the world or on importing people from St. Martin's or from other famous fashion schools to design. Yeah, I mean, I think when it comes to the government sector, it's more about regulatory, right? They're opening the doors, they're allowing it, but it's really up to the private sector to take that lead and to execute. So I would tell you that when it comes to manufacturing, when it comes to education, though a lot of those initiatives are coming with the support from the government, but they are led by the private sector and private institutions. They're enabling us, they're empowering us to do those things. And is it working? Like, could we expect like a holistic, standalone, thriving fashion ecosystem in Saudi Arabia? 
I think we can. I think it's we're not going to be a fashion capital within the next year. And I think yeah. that's something, too, that, you know, our country needs to realize that we, we need to find our niche, for lack of a better word. And what I love about Saudi specific is that we're really proud of our tradition and our heritage. And that's something I mean, even the Fashion Commission falls under the Ministry of Culture. It's not under the Ministry of Labor or anything like that or the Chamber of Commerce. I mean, I think when it comes to fashion and what we can anticipate to see in the next few years, it needs to be authentic. It needs to be sustainable and not just as a buzzword, but something that we can really kind of hold on to. And I think with Saudi, slow fashion has been something that we've been doing just because of the lack of manufacturing. So I say, why not focus on that? Why not make that kind of our main target to be, you know, a region that really focuses on slow fashion that can be sustainable? Because that's where the global fashion world is turning anyway. The other challenge that I see for Saudi is around its reputation around human rights. And so many people who work in the fashion industry are women. So many of the people who work in the fashion industry are from the LGBTQ community. They're naturally some of the big communities and constituents that drive an industry like this. Can you really build a fashion ecosystem in a country where there's still a lot of questions and criticism around human rights. You know, if critics in the West say that, you know, Saudi is looking to fashion and other cultural spheres like sports and entertainment as a way of kind of distracting people from what are still fundamental human rights issues on how those people have a right to live and work in a place like Saudi. I mean, how do you think about that? Because it's a really nuanced topic. We know that change is happening, but maybe is that change enough? So short answer, yes. And I would tell you that if you go onto our Visit Saudi website and you go into frequently asked questions and you say, am I welcomed to our country? The answer will be yes. I think that people need to come and see it for themselves. I think that we need to have more locals from the region writing these articles, writing these narratives, giving that point of view. And I think that's really important, our representation you know, out of out of the Middle East. And I think that's the only way we're going to be able to change people's perceptions. Come here, see it for yourself. But perception is one thing, Mariam. It's about what's mm-hmm. actually happening. And when you think about LGBTQ rights, when you say someone who comes there can come as themselves, like what does that mean in practice? They can come as themselves, exactly what it is. They don't have to disclose their, you know, sexual orientation when they arrive, but yeah, they're welcome. And it's, you know, like I said, it's on our Visit Saudi website. For, that's a government entity. So it is something that the government has said, okay, you know, we need to open up both ways. It doesn't mean that we're endorsing it. It's not part of our culture. It's not part of our religion. But we know that if we want to be a global player, we got to play with everybody. Yeah. Well, I think, you know, what my key learning has been in traveling in the region is that there's a lot you can learn about what life is really like by visiting. So I really do take your point about forming firsthand opinions as opposed to interpreting things through a Western lens. I do also believe as a gay person myself that like if I can't disclose who I am when I travel to a place like Saudi, am I really able to be myself? And I'll just leave that there for you as an open question. When I think about where things are going, or rather when we think about where things are going, like I'd, I'd be interested to conclude with both of you on how the market might change in the next five, 10 years. Like As you look ahead, Mariam, with your on-the-ground vantage point and Rowan with you know the lessons and insights that you had from creating this 100-page report, like what should we expect should happen in the coming years? Rowan, you go first. 
I think in the coming years, there will be more mixing between international and local brands. I mean, in Saudi, definitely, as Maryam was saying, with the local pride, but I think even beyond the customer has become a lot more adept at making that kind of mixing, but also just the desire for more curation. And again, when I say curation, I don't mean creating these specifically modest edits or products for the region. I mean, curating along different lines, like on a design aesthetic, for example, or tapping into more unique trends. I think especially with social media and in the report that we wrote, we actually saw that social media for women was the prime mode of discovery for fashion. For men, it's a little bit more mixed with what their friends are wearing. But I think especially with that, you start to see more pockets of trends, you know. So in the West and kind of across the global fashion scene, you have these trends of Barbie core and X core and so forth. And I think it's about finding what are those cores for that part of the world, right? I remember before kind of the big age of Instagram, there was a big trend of abayas across the Gulf in these matte kind of pale colors almost. And and it was because that was trending in global nail lacquer or nail coloring for women. And women in the Gulf adapted that to abaya colors. So I think it's going to be really about picking up on these really niche stylistic trends, their origins and catering to that. And a lot of that will be practically through working with local creatives, local stylists, local marketing agencies. As Maria mentioned earlier, it's become easier for brands to come into the region by themselves, but it doesn't necessarily mean that brands are rushing to do that because it's quite hard and relying on local partners is still very important. But I think that reliance is changing. It's become a lot more about these niche activations and working with creatives that can basically get you to understanding that final customer. To summarize that, I think it's about tapping into niche trends and working more with people that have their feet on the ground, but in more specific ways as opposed to big retail groups. And Maria, the next 10 years? I see you know, the Middle East becoming a huge fashion influence for the rest of the world. I see us you know, exporting, as I said, our aesthetic to the rest of the world by opening our doors. And as you mentioned, we're influenced by trends abroad, but I see us becoming the influencer to them. And I, I see us also progressing in terms of fashion, sustainability, technology, because it is a new market for us. And with that, we are able to kind of start from scratch and kind of use the best practices that we see working from around the world. So I'm really excited for it. It was really interesting to hear your perspectives on this fast changing market. As we all know, you never really know what it's like until you're there on the ground. So I'm really grateful for your on the ground insights, Mariam. And thank you, Rowan, for sharing all of the insights that you managed to glean from all the work that you did on the report. Thank you, Imran. Thank you for having us. The BOF podcast is edited and produced by Emma Clark and Eric Bria in the BOF studio team. Hey everyone, it's Jen and Jess from the beauty podcast Fat Mascara here to talk about Sol de Janeiro. So many of the beauty experts we interview on our show say that the key to great skin is to treat every inch of your body with the same attention you give your face. One of our favorite ways to do that is with Sol de Janeiro's Beja Flor Elastic Cream, a rich body cream that's clinically proven to boost collagen and has been shown to improve skin crepiness on the chest in just two weeks. Plus, it's scented with Sol de Janeiro's Charosta 68 fragrance. Sol de Janeiro is offering you 10% off your first order on soldejanero.com and free shipping with the code ACAST10. That's S-O L-D-E-J-A-N-E-I-R-O soldejanero.com and use the code ACAST10 for 10% off.